Good morning. Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are glad that you're with us this morning, especially if you're um, new to the church. Maybe you haven't been in church for a while. Maybe you were invited and, and uh, you wouldn't consider yourself a church-going person. We're really glad that you're here this morning. We want this to be a place that is welcoming and open uh, to you and, and visiting and, and, and checking um, what we're doing here out. We're continuing on in this series that we've been going in. This is week seven in this series. We're calling it the true and better story. We're looking at the Bible as a story from beginning to end. We have this week and then one more week in this series. And before we just jumped into part seven today, I wanted to give you an overview of where we've kind of been and come from. Um, there are, um, the, the, the intro week was, uh, the first week was an intro week, so there's seven um, titles or headings here. And you can see this is just a progression through the biblical story. Uh, God creates his kingdom, then rebellion in the kingdom. God chooses a people. God keeps his promise. God sends the king, which we looked at last week. And this morning, we're looking at God sending his ambassadors. And the next week, we'll look at um, the return of God when Jesus comes uh, for the second time. So, we find ourselves here in this part of the story, and the hero has come on the scene, right? To use story language, um, we have the, the hero coming on the scene. There's be, we begin to see resolution to the problem in the story, but we know that the, the, the conflict, the, the crisis has not been resolved fully. Jesus has come. He said, I've, I've come. I brought the kingdom. I am the kingdom, but yet there's still sin. Sin still has its grips on the world. So this is, we're living in this, this um, time that theologians call the already but not yet, meaning the kingdom has already come, but it has not yet come in fullness. It's not fully arrived in the, in the fullness of the kingdom since. Um, but the question we should ask ourselves is, well, how is this thing going to get worked out? If we put ourselves in the story, if we're watching this like we would watch a movie, this, the part we find ourselves in is like, okay, kind of see maybe where this is going, but actually how is this going to end? How's the problem going to get fully resolved? And how, is, how are people going to hear this message of this king that has come? Jesus, who has come, the perfect and good and beautiful and powerful king, how, how is everyone going to hear this news? Because Jesus' ministry was concentrated in a very small geographical area. And I want to take us now to a, a kind of a, an illustration or a, um, just a, an example I want you to think about here. This is not um, necessarily biblical, but... Um, I'm trying to draw out something that may be in some gaps of the scripture. Imagine in the time period, that 400 years of silence between the last book of the Old Testament and before Jesus was born, you had those 400 years where God was silent. And I can imagine towards the end of that 400 years, this scene kind of in, in the heavenly places, the heavenly courts, with God there with his angels, and imagine them thinking, the angels kind of talking to God about the plan, right? Like the plan is unfolding. The angels have seen all that has happened in the Old Testament. And they're probably asking God, hey, hey, God, when, when, is, uh, when is the Messiah going to come? 
When are you going to send him? He's like, I'm, I'm sending him. I'm sending him. His name's going to be Jesus. He goes, okay. Okay, so, so what else is going to happen with this, this Messiah? Well, he's going he's to live. He's going to gather a following of people. He's going to teach. People are going to understand what the kingdom looks like a little bit, and they're tracking with God. And that sounds great. And he says, they're gonna, then Jesus is going to die. They're a little bit confused at that, right? Why, well, why would you send this king to then die, but angels having a good grasp of the Old Testament sacrificial system, they can maybe see to that. And they're like, okay, great. And then God says, We're gonna, I'm going to raise him three days later, and he's going to hang out with his disciples for months after coming back from the dead. The angels are really leaning forward, getting into the story, like, okay, okay, that sounds good. That sounds good. And then God says, and then I'm going to have Jesus ascend back to heaven and give the task of spreading this good news to the new followers of Jesus. And the angels kind of stop, and they're quiet. And they're like, why, why would you do it this way, God? Like, you've got Jesus. Why don't you just leave Jesus on earth, right? Like, let him go outside of Jerusalem and Galilee a little bit. Let him get outside of Israel. Let him go to all the major metropolitan areas in the known world at that time and do his thing there. Right? He can spend three years in every place, right? probably stay alive long enough to, to gather a following Then every single person on the earth could know and hear who Jesus is from Jesus himself. From the lips of Jesus, they could hear what the gospel is, what the kingdom is. And he could do, continue to do miracles and continue to, 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 to teach and, and talk about what the kingdom is like and do more Sermon on the Mounts in different places. Like, right, the angels are trying to strategize with God here. Why, God, would you not do it that way? Are you going to really leave this in the hands of people like Peter and all the disciples that just turned their back on Jesus? Like, why would you give them, give them this, this authority and this task? They've just failed so miserably, right? I don't know if we've ever stopped to ask that question, right? It's interesting the way God has chosen to extend his kingdom, that the way he's chosen to make his name known throughout all of the earth is not by leaving Jesus, the one that the news is about here, but to actually say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empower, I'm going to use, I'm going to give the task to Jesus' followers, to my people now, to take this message forward. So the plan for all people groups in, on the earth to hear this good news of the gospel, this amazing news, is through the church, the people of God. He's given the church the task of taking the good news to the ends of the earth. So our kind of our thesis statement or the, the, the purpose statement of, of, of this morning, I'll have it up here on the screen. God creates a people for himself. Right? And we've seen that from the beginning, right? Beginning in really Genesis 12, we saw that, right? He creates a people for himself. And in the New Testament, this is called the church, right? It has a name now. We're the church. And sends them in power to be witnesses and ambassadors or to be his witnesses and ambassadors, Right? This is kind of the purpose of the kingdom coming. This is how the kingdom is going to get extended. Now, one of our values here is missional living. So when you hear that value, we're thinking about all of this, right? When we talk about us living on mission here in 2021 and in the Norman area, um, we are a part of this grand plan and mission. We're the church. We've been given this task to extend um, God's kingdom here on earth mainly by loving other people and proclaiming the gospel. This is how we go about doing that. And this is good news for us because we have a purpose. 
right? We, we, have a, we have a task. There's a reason why we exist as the church, and it is to make God's name known. It's to love him in such a way and love other people in such a way that people see who God is and they want to know more about him. They want to learn more about him. They want to know more about this guy named Jesus. So we have a bit, we're benefited in this way, right? We think back to Genesis 1 and 2. The question we asked was, what is our purpose? Or why am I here? And now as the church, that should be a really easy answer. In Genesis 1 and 2, it was to be fruitful, multiply, have dominion um, over all the earth, extend Eden, make, make God's name known on, on, throughout Eden and, and beyond Eden. That was what was given to Adam and Eve. And we've, that is still our mandate in a sense, but now for the church, it's to make disciples of all nations. It's to extend God's kingdom. It's for all nations to be able to have a chance to hear this good news of Jesus. That's our purpose now as the church, his people. So, so we're going to take, that, take this, this, this statement here and break it down and walk through it. So four kind of ideas here. God creates a people. God sends a people. God empowers his people, and God gives his people an identity as his witnesses or ambassadors. So let's look at number one. God creates a people. This begins with Abraham. We saw this several weeks ago. Genesis 12, 1 and 2. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. He makes them a people. He, he creates borders. He creates, creates this identity for his people. And I will make you of a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. That's the purpose, that, for the why behind making them a great nation. And then a little further on in the story, we see it in Exodus. Right? Deuteronomy 7, 6. This is after God has rescued them from the Egyptians. God says this, for you are a people. Again, there's that statement. You are a people holy to your Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people Again, there is again a people for his treasured possession. Listen to the way he, uh, God speaks about his people. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, um, he, he, they describe as a treasured possession. He loves them. They're a set apart people. Right? So there's again this people. God is saving a people for himself, not a bunch of scattered individuals, but he's saving a people for himself. They're chosen, they're treasured, they're special, they're unique. Not because of anything that they've done, but because God has set his sights and eyes on them to be um, his people. And then we see it in the prophets, right? Jeremiah 30, 22. Again, it says, and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Once again, there's this constant refrain in the Old Testament, you will be my people. God has always been about um, um, creating a people for himself to then extend the news about him to the rest of the nations. And after Jesus rises and, from the dead and ascends back to heaven, instead of being known as God's people, now we're known as the church. We're still God's people, but just as we're not the Israelites, we're not the people of the Old Testament, we are the church. This is the new label or name given to God's people. Okay, So this is the part of the story, the church comes into the narrative. Other metaphors in the scriptures we see, and these, these metaphors are all given in the scriptures for us to, to try to understand more about what the church is like. You have things like the bride of Christ, which is just a beautiful imagery, metaphor uh, for the church. You have the body of Christ, where Christ is the head, and we are the members under Jesus, him being our primary authority as followers of Jesus. You have things like family, temple, 
household. All these names are given to the church as other names for the church in the New Testament so we can understand it, so we can learn more about what the church is like. God cares about his bride, and he wants us to love uh, the bride as well, love the church, and understand that we are his bride. Um, uh, two author, authors, uh, Hugh Halter and Matt Smay, in their book, and say, say this about um, creating a people. Whether you start in Genesis or go forward or start in the final letters from Jesus' most trusted allies and work backwards, the theme is sure. God has always wanted a people that would be exclusive to him, holy, set apart, distinct, and beautiful to the world he's trying to redeem. God is creating a people for himself. He did create a people, and he's continuing to create and add to um, his people. Uh, part two, God sends his people, right? So he, he creates a people, and then he sends his people. Luke 24, 49 through 53. This is the passage Jay read uh, a few minutes ago. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So again, he's sending the promise, and this is the Holy Spirit, right? But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You can imagine they're fired up. They're excited. Jesus has been teaching them for months after the resurrection. They're ready to go. They're ready to go out and, and preach the gospel, be witnesses, be ambassadors, and get after it. He says, wait a minute. No, no, no. If you go out now, you're going to be in trouble. Wait. Wait right here. Stay in the city. Don't go anywhere because you need this power I'm about to give you. Verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. In John 20, 21, Jesus said to them, and peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Matthew and Mark also have um, kind of tellings of this thing that we often call the Great Commission or the commissioning of the disciples before Jesus went back up to heaven and ascended. And this is, we've seen Luke's version and now John's version of the Great Commission. But he, the key here is he wants them to wait. He's sending them, but he says, don't go yet. He's not sending them alone. He's sending them with authority. He's sending them with power. Michael Goheen in his book, Light to the Nation, says this, mission properly understood is the role of God's chosen to live as a contrast people and thus to draw the surrounding nations into covenant with God. And this is kind of the Old Testament. He's saying this mission begins not in Acts, but way back at the beginning of the biblical story. The Gospels narrate the beginnings of the eschatological fulfillment of God's mission in Jesus' ministry. And the book of Acts carries, it, carries forward that story. In Acts, the story of God's mission through his people continues with the restoration of Israel and the incorporation of the Gentiles into the people of God. The thing to notice there is that God has always been sending his people. It looks a little bit different now, but even at the very beginning of the Old Testament, there in Genesis 12, God sends Abram to a certain area. He's sending them out so they can begin to be a people out amidst, amidst all of all the nations so the nations can see them and say, oh, this God's different. This God's unique. I want to know more about that God. I'm intrigued by that God based off of how God's people lived um, amongst themselves, which is why God then gives the law uh, as, a, as, a, as a way to get them to this goal. Okay, So he creates a people. He sends a people. Next, he empowers a people. How does he do it? By empowering them. By, like, he's, if he's going to send them, he needs to empower them like we just read. Um, Acts 1, 6 through 8. 
If you didn't know, Acts was written by Luke. Uh, most commentators and scholars think that, um, that this is basically when Luke is writing Acts, he's just continuing on from the end of Luke. So you can almost see Acts as part two of the Gospel of Luke, but he's focusing more on the church and the Holy Spirit. And he begins this with a continuation, really, from Luke 24 that we just read. He says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's almost like saying, and you would be asking the same question, right? Like, when is this going to happen? Like, when is this kingdom thing going to actually come? Like, how does this look? Like, when is it going to be? Like, we would be asking the same questions. But he says, wait a minute, don't think about those things. Don't worry about the when or the how. Here's what you need to worry about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the first part of verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's what he wants to, then to focus on. You're going to receive power, and it's going to come. John 16, 7, talking about the Spirit again in the Gospel of John. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, so again, back to that strategy, the, the boardroom of God and his angels idea, right? This is God's strategy here. He's saying he's thinking that like it's better if, if God in the spirit is with every one of his people internally to empower them for this mission. Rather than Jesus existing outside of his people and kind of being the focal point of everything, God wants to send the Holy Spirit to empower from within God's people. There's not, I I tried to think all week of some like, um, I don't know, cultural examples of this happening. And I I I kept, my mind kept going um, to the movie uh, Braveheart, right? I love Braveheart. Um, It's it's really, really old movie now, um, 20 years or so old. And I love, um, we, I think most people that love that movie love the end of that movie where William Wallace dies for the freedom of the Scots, right, from the English. He dies at the end. And the last scene, it shows his people, his army, uh, running out for another fight. Running out for another fight. And, it's, and that's the way it ends. That's the way the movie cuts off. And I love that, um, that kind of the, the, the armies of the Scots were inspired based off of something that William Wallace did. Like he gave his life for the freedom, and they took kind of that cause and, and ran with it and went forward. So they were inspired by something that kind of happened in the past. Now, had William Wallace not done that or died in that way, who knows? Maybe they wouldn't have continued to fight the English like they did. Um, but it's, it's obvious that they took what they were um, kind of received from William Wallace and continued it forward. In the same way, we are empowered with this message and the power to be able to continue Jesus' work here on earth. Right? Jesus died, he's raising it, he sends the Spirit to empower us, to move us. Listen to Michael Goheen again. He says, mission is a work of God. Jesus working by the Spirit. His people are taking, taken up into that mission They prolong the mission that Jesus began. Continuing the mission of Jesus is not just one more task given to his disciple community. Rather, it defines its very identity and function in God's ongoing story. That's massive what he's saying. He's basically saying mission is not just one thing the church is responsible for. Right? And if you look at it in the story form, you see this. Right, The church exists still because there's still work left to do to carry this mission forward. 
right? If there was no mission, if God didn't want to see this message go further, why are we still in this world, right? If you were to ask that question, why are we still exist? Why not just take us home, God, now to get out of this world? Why? Because there's still work left here to do. That's why he leaves us on earth to be about his mission, to be about the calling. And that doesn't come out a lot unless you see this in the story. This part in the story is about the church extending the mission through the power of the Holy Spirit. So one of the primary identities of the church needs to be of a group of ambassadors, a group of witnesses to the good news of Jesus. It is very, very important. It's oftentimes in church culture, I think, in churches that even I've been a part of in the past, uh, mission has been very much a sidebar in the church. It's been very much like, if you think of a website, it's like a sub-menu of a sub-menu, and you click it, and there's a few like mission opportunities. And that's not all bad, right? But the calling of the church is to be missional in every way and at all times. That should be part of our identity. When we go out, when we go out, leave, leave here today and, and go to our jobs, go back into our neighborhoods, like we are to be a missional people, which again is why it's missional living is one of our five values. We want to keep it in front of us because we believe that we are carrying the good news forward as the church. Last point, God gives his people the identity of witnesses and ambassadors. Acts 1.8, the second part of that verse it says, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the second part of that is, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Like, what is a witness? Like, we all know this, right? We, that term is still used, especially in like a courtroom environment, right? A witness is someone who testifies or, or tells someone about what they've seen happen or what they've experienced, right? That's all a witness is. It's like, when you, when you, are there any witnesses? Did you see this? Like, did you experience this? That's what a witness is being. So when it says we are witnesses, we're just sharing and we're talking about who Jesus is and what he has done and the impact that he's made in our life. That is the, the baseline of what it means to be a witness. It's not complicated in that sense. doesn't make it easy, but it's not complicated. We are witnesses to what Jesus has done on our behalf. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. This is the key verse, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone whose their pure role and job is to take a message from somebody more powerful or more powerful entity, take it somewhere else, and be a representative of them, right? A representative of that person. So instead of that person, a king or a president standing there in front of this people, they send someone to embody them. So they say what they want. They, they say what they're told to say. They say what they're supposed to say based off the messaging of the king or the authority who sent them. That's all an ambassador is. So you can see these two um, identity statements are very similar. Witnesses, ambassadors, right? And this gets at the idea of who we are now in Jesus. Um, Hugh Halter and Matt Smay, again, in this book called And Say This, the church is loved by God 
and given intimate access to his great passion of self-sacrificing love. Because she is precious to him. She is most beautiful when she reflects his deepest love and gives herself away for the sake of the world. Right? So again, back to that image of we are his bride and we are most intimately connected to him and we're most beautiful when we are giving ourselves away for the sake of those who don't know God. We represent him best when we are laying down our lives for the sake of other people and for the sake of his mission. So what's at stake here? Right? Those are the four ideas there. But what's at stake here? Like what's actually happening? I want to add, put some, some, add some weight to this for us, right? Add some weight to what we're talking about. To God is entrusted to us this message of reconciliation. He's given this to us. This is like something that he's given to the church and said, take it and, and, and use this, right? Proclaim this. Make this message known. Live in such a way that this message is true in your life. Live in such a way that the other people around you can see it. God is using this, using this plan, um, using us, allowing us to be a part of him saving people to himself, saving saving sinners, redeeming people the same way we were redeemed. God used somebody in your life. God used somebody in my life to bring me to him. God wants to continue to use you in bringing people to faith. He wants that. He desires that. That is the plan. There's, there's really no plan B here, right? Plan A is for the church through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, do we believe this? Right? Do we believe that God wants to use us? Part of the, the battle is just believing this, right? Walking out of here today and believing God wants to use me to see people come to know him. Second question, do you believe that you've been entrusted with this good news? Right? And it's not, again, it's not easy, but it's not complicated, right? We have a message as witnesses and ambassadors to proclaim this message and live in such a way this message is true. Like that is our, that is our calling. That is what we're called to do. But that doesn't make it easy. And the, the last thing we need to remember just to, for, for what's at stake here is do you believe that people who don't have faith in who Jesus is, will spend eternity apart from God. Like, do we believe that? Do we believe that one thing that's at stake here is eternal separation from a good and loving Father? And apart from hearing and believing the gospel, people don't have hope to be reconciled to God. And they'll spend eternity in a place that the Bible says that God does not exist. And the Bible says, um, describes it as with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And theologians refer to this place as hell. And that's not something that's popular to talk about all the time in our day and age. But this is what the Bible teaches. And we need to, be, we need to realize this is part of what's at stake here. And allow this to, to, to pray for people. And to have a, a, have a weight um, added weight for the mission. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, right, this can be an awkward morning talking about something like this, but I just want to say something to you. Hopefully it'll make you feel a little bit better, right? Um, We have this message as followers of Jesus that we think is the greatest news that the world has ever heard, the greatest news that we've ever experienced. How evil and hateful would we be if us that loved you did not share this news with you. 
that didn't stand up here and talk about how can we be better at this? How can we be, how can we be better equipped to take this message and share it with you? We would be horrible people if we really believed this was life-changing news and we didn't share this with you, right? I mean, so, so the fact that we're talking about this, maybe this seems awkward to you if that describes you and you're in here, but we're doing this because we have this message and we serve this God that is so good and we love Jesus so much that we wanna be better at this. We wanna understand how to love people better in the ways we share the gospel. How can we be clear in our communication? How can that be a, a bigger part of our lives? And so I just wanted to say that, that this is why we talk about this, right? Um, so how do we do this? How do we do this? Okay, there's kind of, when you hear a sermon like this, talking about sharing your faith or evangelism, and I've been on both sides of kind of the, the aisle on this one. Um, some of you maybe hear the sermon like this about sharing your faith, and you just kind of want to ignore it right? Maybe it's just, it's just another one about sharing your faith in evangelism. I've heard this before. I know what the Bible says. I know these verses that I've gone through today. These aren't uh, obscure verses that I'm going over today. Uh, but I, I pray that you've been persuaded to some degree this morning and really through the rest of the series and kind of building up that you have a role to play. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a role to play in seeing people come to know God. And, and, and love God. You have a role to play. Every single one of us in this room has a role to play. We are sent ones. We are ambassadors. It is who we are. When we leave this place, we are ambassadors. It's just kind of how, we, how we're doing at carrying the message that he's entrusted us with. Okay? So that's the first kind of leaning person. And I've been there. I've been there season of my life where I'm like, I don't need to hear this again. I don't want to like reflect on how I'm doing in this area because it's probably going to get uncomfortable. I just want to forget about it. I want to ignore it. But I encourage you not to ignore it. And then listen to this second thing. Another, another um, kind of uh, lean on the other side here is just feeling guilt and shame. Just heaping more guilt, more shame, more I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible Christian because I'm not sharing my faith, I'm not talking about the good news. And I don't want you to go there as well. This, this topic, has it's so easy to manipulate and to kind of uh, make fear the primary motivation, right? We do need motivation because this is hard. This is hard what we're talking about doing this morning. But it can't be, hey, you're a terrible, terrible person if you don't share your faith. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the scriptures are saying this morning. The scriptures are saying because of what Jesus has done, we've been given this new identity. Like we've been given an opportunity. Um, it's, I had one pastor say at one time, it's like daddy's taking us to work. Right? Like we get to go to work with daddy and seeing the nations reconciled to himself and he's bringing us along with him. Does he need us? No, he doesn't need us. Does he want us along with him doing it? Yes, he wants us alongside of him doing it. That's why he has sent the spirit. We get to go along with daddy to work, to be a part and be, have front row seats of him changing people's lives. So why wouldn't we want to do that? It doesn't have to be this shame and guilt-ridden thing. So motivation's important, and the scriptures think it's important as well. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. This is that same passage that Paul has been talking about um, us being ambassadors. This is actually before he tells us we're ambassadors, okay? So he starts kind of that section with this. For the love of Christ controls us. Other translations say compels us. Because... We have concluded this. This is what we know 
Paul is saying, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might, might live, might no, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died, died and raised. He's basically saying the love that Christ has for us has changed us. It controls us. It moves us. It compels us. Like when we've been changed on the inside, when we continue to be changed on the inside, continue to dwell on the gospel, continue to think about how we didn't deserve any of the grace and mercy that God showed us in Jesus. The more we think about that, the more our relationships will be changed with people in our lives, the people we come across. We'll be more likely to be ambassadors and more likely to be witnesses of his grace and mercy if we believe and we know we've been changed by God's grace and mercy. This is why we talk about the gospel so much. This is what Paul is doing. He's like, Think about the gospel. Think about God's grace. Think about what Christ did on your behalf when you were a sinner. And let that change you from the inside and make you better ambassadors or be able the ability to live as ambassadors. You see, like this guilt, shame-ridden type motivation may work for a short period of time. You may go out of here like, and just feel fired up and you want to like remove this guilt and shame, so you're just going to go do it, right? But that's not going to last we all know this. When we're motivated to do something internally from guilt and shame, we don't like guilt and shame. We'll try it for a while, and we'll re- realize that it doesn't work, and we'll medicate with something else. We'll put those fig leaves on for something else because we don't want to be, be, feel guilty and shameful for anything. We looked at that at Genesis 3, right? So we need healthy motivation to be good ambassadors or witnesses. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. So he kind of bookends this. He bookends this idea of of ambassadors. We've seen verse 14 and 15. Now we're going to look at the end of the chapter. He says this, for our sake, our, the church, he's saying our, plural there. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus to be sin, who was perfect, who knew no sin, so that in him, through him, in him, because of him, we, the church, might become the righteousness of God. It's like he wants to get that one last thing in here. He said, I've talked to him about being ambassadors. I've, I've kind of gave him this speech in this letter, firing him up, and I want them to remember why we do this. Verse 521. It's one of the, my favorite verses in all the scriptures, right? It's the, a very, one of those very short statements that really gives a clear picture of what the gospel is. So, Practicals leaving this. Number one is we need to focus on the gospel. We need to remember that our love for people will come out of a heart that's been changed internally, right? Like, and the further we move outside of our family, right? Like, I think we all probably have some like um, moral compass that we need to love our family. So, oftentimes we love our family. We love people that kind of believe like we believe or act like we believe or follow the same rules we follow. Like we're pretty good at loving those people, but anybody outside of those circles, it's hard for any of us. So we need to remember that our lives have been changed. We were loved when we were unlovable. We were outside of Jesus's inner circle and yet he still loved us. So why can we, can we love people who are outside of our circle, outside of our tribe, the people that we look to for many different things. So number one, focus on the gospel. Number two, the last one, is we need to be intentional. We need to be intentional with this. Yesterday we had a gospel community leaders training, and one of the things we were talking about some of this, and one of the things that we talked about is that the things that are important to us, we are intentional with. We, we think about, like for example, our finances, right? If you're serious about your finances, you keep a budget. 
You track where money's going, right? What are we spending it on? What's coming in? What are we saving? What are we spending? All of those things make up kind of how you view finances, right? Because it's important to us. Those of you with kids in the room, your child's development, especially in those early years, you pay attention to that because it's important. You track that. You're aware of that. You reflect on that. If you're a student in here, like you have classes. Like you, you don't come to OU and just kind of haphazardly go through right, a degree. You won't do very well probably, right? So you have to pay attention. You have to be intentional. When am I going to study? When am I going to study for this test? When am I going to do this paper? When am I going to read? You have to be intentional. So the things that are important to us we're intentional with, we think about, we make plans for, so we reflect on. So that's what I'm, I'm asking us to do as a church. Let's be intentional about living missionally, being ambassadors, being witnesses, right? And the best way to do this is uh, at Providence Road is at least get in a gospel community because we're trying to train gospel communities to help and to create an environment where this becomes easier. It's never gonna be easy, I don't think, but easier, having some tools, having people around you that are asking questions and encouraging one another to be um, good news type people to, to those people that God has placed around you. We have to be intentional. This, isn't, um, this is a spiritual thing in the sense that we're motivated spiritually by this, but ultimately it comes down to looking, maybe looking at your calendar. Like how are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? How are you spending your energy? Right, these, these resources that we just, go through oftentimes without thinking about, how are you using those things to actually love people and proclaim the gospel? And it may start there with being intentional. How am I using my time? Who am I around a lot? What conversations have I had that I maybe could be more, um, be more vocal and clear about um, what Jesus has done in my life? These are the things we need to start wrestling with as being Loving Jesus, focusing on the gospel, but also being intentional. Because he's called us to be ambassadors and witnesses. And we're a part of this story. And he's giving us this task. Let's pray. God, this is a, this is a, hard, um, it's a hard thing to do. It's not, it's not complicated in what you're asking us to do. But there's so many things that tend to get, away, get in the way of this. I know for me, it's, I'm busy, I'm tired. I have a small circle of people that when I'm really, really tired, I wanna spend time with, and that's my family, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of not laying down my life for people that don't know you. I'm sure many of my friends in this room would say the same thing, so help us. Help us lay down our preferences, lay down um, things that aren't crucial in our day-in, day-out lives for the sake of the mission, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake that people would know and hear and see the good news that you offer in Christ. Help us. We need it. Your spirit is very clear that you've empowered us for mission. Jesus says, don't go do anything until you receive the spirit. So I pray you help us be more mindful of the spirit at work within us that empowers us, that moves us, that gives us words to say when we need words to say, gives us boldness, gives us courage. But how oftentimes we don't think about the spirit living inside of us. We don't think about how he's empowering us. So help us, help us be mindful of your spirit. And I pray that we would um, see this as a benefit 
that we get to, to have a front row seat in you changing people. The miracle of changing someone from the inside out. Giving them, giving them new loves, giving them new desires, giving them new affections, giving them new values. So I pray that more of us can be a part of that. That you would use providence, or not because we're awesome or we have it all together, but because we just we 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 want to be used. We know we can't do this without your spirit empowering us. So come, Spirit, empower us to be the kind of people that extend your kingdom here on earth. And we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.